Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. So today I wanted to take this opportunity to do my second solo cast episode and answer some of the most common questions that many of you, my fellow IBD warriors, ask me on either Instagram, through the private DMs, or through my email and blog. If you haven't listened to it, my first solo cast was actually the episode I did where I shared my full Crohn's story, and that was episode six. So today, I'll be answering questions about, well, you guessed it, my favorite topics, which are Crohn's, fitness, and food. So many of the questions that I get center around what a Crohn's diet is, supplementation, working out while fatigues, and medications that I've been on. So I want to go through all of these different topics and questions and answer them just from my experience and hopefully give you guys something to maybe ponder or try for yourself. Um, Maybe it'll help you in your Crohn's journey. So if you like today's episode, please let me know. Go ahead and send me your feedback at Food at gmail.com. And if you have some questions that you'd like me to answer on a future solo cast episode, send those my way. So go ahead and email me or like many other people do, go ahead and just send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Crohn's Fitness Food. So without further delay, let's go ahead and jump into today's questions. So the first one, I get a lot of messages on Instagram and through my email of people wanting to know what diet to follow with Crohn's disease. So unfortunately, there really isn't just one diet. And before you get discouraged, there are some things I do want to talk about with regard to food and dieting. So while there's not one Crohn's diet, because as I've said many times on this podcast, and I'll say it many times before, we are all so different. We're each very unique, and Crohn's really is this spectrum of how people react to treatments and what works for one person doesn't work for another. So with that being said, that everyone is different, the first thing I always recommend, and we've touched on it before on a couple of the interviews, but keep a food journal. If you're trying to understand and trying to figure out what diet is going to be best for you, you have to put in the effort and you have to really go ahead and keep a food journal. So I've done this a couple of different ways over the years, and I've had Crohn's, I think, 13 years now, if I'm doing the math uh, math correctly. And when I was first diagnosed, I just kept it in, you know, the regular steno notebook, the lined paper. I just had a little spiral notebook that I literally, I just wrote down all of the food when I would eat it. And I had a small, a small notebook so I could carry it with me and put it in my purse. And I would write down all the food I ate and any time I had any sort of a symptom. So if I felt bloated a couple hours later, if I was nauseous, if I felt cramping, um, if there was blood or mucus in my stool, I would write all of that down and I'd put the time frames and I'd write it down. And so after the true beauty of this is that after you do that for a couple of weeks, I think just the fact that you're writing it down, so you're looking for the symptoms, you're recognizing what is happening, you're more aware of what you're eating. And so as you go through this for a couple of weeks, 
analyzing what you're doing is actually really easy because you've had all these extra triggers to help you remember from writing things down, just being aware of it, being cognizant of what's happening. And so when you go ahead and, you know, fast forward a couple of weeks and then you look back on what you've been doing, it's pretty easy to just quickly flip through the pages and start looking for some patterns or maybe a couple of different foods that stand out that are really bad for you. So if you want to use, you know, just a regular old pen and paper, that is probably one of the best and easiest ways to keep a food journal. Just keep it with you. One of the ways I keep my food journal now, because we all love technology and technology is just fantastic. I've tried over the years to use different tools like a, a Google Sheets, you know, kind of a notebook or um, just some different journals to jot things down. And I've never really found anything I liked until I used the paid, it's the pro version. So I do have to pay, um, I think it's about eight to $10 a month. They charge you by the week. So it's $1.99 a week, but it's an app for your phones, your mobile device. And it's called, now gentlemen, you can still use it too, despite the name, but it is called Life Period Tracker. So yes, it's an app that is designed for women to be able to track our periods and our menstrual cycles. However, uh, gentlemen, like I said, don't get discouraged because this is actually a really cool app with a lot of features. So tracking your period is, of all the things the app can do, is one of a million things. And so I wouldn't even worry about that. Um, but it is a nice bonus if you are female and you have your cycle, you can track it in there. But what I love about the pro version, because I upgraded um, maybe less than a year ago, but I finally upgraded to the pro version. And what that did was it allowed me to add my own tags and categories. So the Life Tracker app, it tracks your period, but then you can also track symptoms. And so there's a whole category of just symptoms and you can track if you're bloated, if you're cramping, and these are obviously designed for a period, but you can use it obviously for Crohn's. I have found it to just be a seamless, beautiful app. So if I'm, if I ate something and I don't feel good, if I'm bloated, I just open up the health category. I, and I click, you know, I'm nauseous. I have diarrhea, I have mucus, um, I'm bloated, and you can just click and enter all that in there. And with the paid version, you can add your own tags. And so I'll add like bloody stool or mucus, things that are not part of the standard life period tags. <laughs> so uh, it's been a great way. So I track my symptoms, how I'm feeling. I track um, my weight. I track nutrition. You can go in there and create the foods I eat regularly and over and over. I just create tags for those. So if I eat two eggs, I'll make a little tag for two eggs, half an avocado. And so every meal I eat, I just open up the day. I open up the nutrition column and then I can just click. I had half an avocado. I had half a ribeye. I had two eggs. I just click them and then they're in there and they're saved. I do the same thing with ketones and glucose because I just, I love tracking things. And so I have a tag set up for my ketones. And so when I test those with the blood strips, I go in, I just click that and boom, all the information is in there. So obviously, of course, I track my bowel movements, my gut health. I've got tags for all that. I can put it in there. And the really cool part, you guys, is if you're a data nerd or you like to analyze things, which is one thing. I like to do, <laughs> you can actually, this app saves everything. And I have data from, I've been using it for four or five years now. So all that data is still in there, despite the fact that I've switched phones and upgraded phones and different things. So I can go in there, I can filter out what I want to see. So I can filter down and say, you know what, I just want to see where my ketones were and what my food and what my my bowel habits are. So I can check those things and then I can choose a time frame and then I can export it. Once I export it, I can import it into a spreadsheet and it gives you a great overview of just 
being able to glance, that nice bird's eye view of being able to scan quickly and look for trends. And it helps you to really understand, you know, in hindsight, to be able to go back and just maybe look at where your trouble spots are, where things are working well, and you don't even realize what you're doing. You can go back and look at those periods or when things are going bad, you can go back and look through all this information um, when symptoms crop up. So guys, if you want to give it a try, I highly recommend it, girls and guys, even though it is, yes, a period tracker. So the name is Life Period Tracker, and I'll put it in the show notes so that you guys can link to it if you are curious. But I love that app. I take it everywhere. It's on my phone. Open it up. Click what I'm eating. And to this day, 13 years later, I still keep a food journal. And that has been key in helping me really identified what I should and should be should not be eating for for my personal diet. So definitely keep a food journal. And if you're early on, or if you're still having symptoms, or you're just kind of hitting a little bump in the road. The other thing I would highly recommend is to consider doing an elimination diet. Elimination diets, they they sound hard. They can be hard. And I've tried a few of them over the years. But I got to tell you, you guys, many of you know that I'm following a carnivore diet right now. And while not everybody wants to only eat meat forever, the carnivore diet one of its true benefits, I think, is for it to really serve as an elimination diet. Because you think about it, all you're eating is meat and water. You have truly eliminated everything. Now, I know some of you out there have a difficulty eating meat, and so that may not be the best option for you. So I'll get to you in just a minute here. But for everyone, else if you tolerate meat if you can digest it without problem for me meat was always a safe food it was always easy to digest i did well with it so doing the carnivore diet was easy but it was also easy to use it as an elimination diet so if you're going to do that there are a ton of facebook communities out there um, i recommend the human performance outliers podcast the carnivore cast podcast these are great resources that talk all about this carnivore movement, but basically it is very simple. You eat meat and you drink water and you do that for 30 days. And the key is you have to eat fat, high fat meat, uh, fatty meats, because your body is going to either get its energy from carbohydrates. And so if it's the carbohydrates you're eating, simple sugars, things like that, your body will use that to fuel itself or your body's going to use fat to fuel itself. So if you're following this meat diet, you have to get your energy from fat. So I would highly recommend you consider that if you are looking for an elimination diet. Once you do that for about 30 days, then you can obviously add in, you know, one by one, add in some foods back to your diet and see how you're feeling. Still keep a food log and and build and expand your diet from there. So if you do not want to eat meat, or if you don't tolerate meat, but you still want to consider an elimination diet, there's two that I would recommend, and I've tried both um, over the years. One is a low FODMAP diet, and the other is the specific carbohydrate diet. So low FODMAP, if you have not heard about this, this is a diet that is designed to eliminate foods that are known for causing most, some of the most gastrointestinal distress symptoms that people will experience. So FODMAP actually stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. So basically, these are the foods that just what the first, you know, the F of that FODMAP stands for, fermentable. These are the foods that ferment in your gut and cause those symptoms like gas and bloating, cramping, pain, diarrhea, all of that stuff. So the low FODMAP diet guides you in removing 
most of those known foods that are FODMAPs and it removes those. And then a lot of people do well with that. There is a restrictive period. And then once you get through that, then you can add foods back in. And so the whole point is to kind of expand and get yourself to a wide variety of foods that you can eat. The specific carbohydrate diet, probably a lot of you have probably heard about that. Um, but it's basically, just as the name implies, it focuses on specific carbohydrates that you can eat and then carbohydrates you shouldn't. So it focuses on eating monosaccharide carbohydrates that are basically a single molecule structure and they're easily absorbed by the gut. And then it removes the complex carbohydrates that have double molecules and chain molecules for their structure. And those are eliminated because they're not easy to digest and they feed the, the harmful bacteria in our guts that cause and lead to inflammation and some of those uncomfortable gastrointestinal symptoms. So I have, I said I've tried both of these and they're great diets if you follow them. For me, uh, maybe some of you can relate to this, but they were hard for me because I have such a sweet tooth that I did it the completely wrong way. And I would try to just jump straight to the dessert section and I would try to, um, I would try to make these elimination diets work for me while I was eating all of the junk. So I would eat these, you know, I'd eat these treats that were, made, you know, SCD approved, but they were all of the things that were hard for me to digest, like using, I think, some almond flours and different things. So they might have been approved for that, but I just went straight to the junk. And what I should have done was just focused on the food. And while I say that those two were kind of hard for me because they eliminated so many foods, strangely enough, Ironically, when I did the carnivore diet, even though I eliminated everything, which you would think would have been harder, that was actually easier for me. And I think it just comes down to the fact that the meat with the fat and protein is so satiating and so nutritious for your body that your body is not craving nutrients or foods. Your body is not signaling you to crave certain things to get those nutrients. So a few options for you, um, the food log and then try an elimination diet. And through those things, yes, they're time consuming, but they are worth it because through those things, you're going to be able to identify what you really need to remove from your diet and what you should be including in your diet. And everyone is Everyone is so different, especially with IBD. I mean, I think I've I think I've shared before that a girl I used to work with also had Crohn's disease and it was just so odd because we'd go to lunch and I would eat only meat and she would eat only vegetables <laughs> and um and I ate only meat because that's what I tolerated well and she ate only vegetables because that's what she tolerated very well. So you've got to You've got to put in the work and you've got to focus on what you what you can eat. And if you're doing something that is working or you get to a point that's working, oldest advice ever is uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, so that is the long way of describing what I would call a Crohn's diet. So along with what diet to eat, I get a lot of questions about why I eat meat, um, if I get nutritional deficiencies, and what are some of the starting points for all of the different diets that are out there. So I want to go ahead and I want to break these down. And we'll start with first, why do I eat meat? And I kind of touched on it when I said that I've always been able to tolerate meat. I tolerate meat well. So the bottom line for me is, why do I eat meat? Well, uh, because vegetables cause me cause me trouble, so raw vegetables cause me trouble. Cooked vegetables cause me trouble. Pretty much ninety nine percent of vegetables cause me trouble, and I've tried them. I've tried them raw. 
I've tried them sauteed, I've tried them steamed, boiled, grilled, microwaved, all the different ways, and they still, every time, they cause me trouble. How do I know they're causing me trouble? How do I know that they're bad for me? I'm sure many of you can relate, but I get distended, and that's just the painful, painful bloating. You're not just bloated in the sense that, oh, I ate some food and now I'm feeling puffy and bloated. This is true distension. Your abdominal cavity, like your intestines are just, they're bloated painfully. So distension, uh, the pain, cramping, diarrhea, the mucus, all those Crohn's symptoms that uh, we love to hate, all those will come back for me when I start eating vegetables. And so, that being said, I, it's easy for me to cut them out. That's how I know that they're, they're bad for me. And I've tried, you know, I've, I've tried to eat a lot of different vegetables because some vegetables I do enjoy the flavor of. I don't think you need, I don't think you need to eat vegetables, but I do enjoy some of them, and I know a lot of you enjoy vegetables, and, and so there's nothing wrong with that. And, and so I've tried, you know, lettuce is hard on me. I've tried green beans. I've tried Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, zucchini. I've tried a variety, and 99% of them give me trouble. Now, if you're like me, and you still want to eat a couple vegetables, but you're focusing on a meat-centered diet, there are a couple of vegetables that I stumbled across throughout this whole journey that I have found are actually a lot easier to tolerate. So if you're interested and want to give it a try, if you've not heard of bib lettuce, and that's B-I-B-B, -B, like Boston bib lettuce, or it also goes by butter lettuce, but that type of lettuce is a lot more tender, it's a lot more digestible, and you'll know when you're getting it because there's actually a root, a root ball still connected to the lettuce. And so this lettuce, it is alive. Um, it's alive and it's easier to digest, really good for you. And that was one lettuce that I had eaten for quite a while and I did really well with it. And I could probably eat it now. I just really don't have a, a desire to. Carrots are also another vegetable that I found were easier to digest and my favorite way to eat them was to boil them so you can either boil them or put them in a pressure cooker and that really breaks down the carrot all of its fibrous connective tissue that a carrot has so it breaks all of that down makes it easy to digest and i like to eat them i'll kind of i'll boil or i'll pressure cook them and then i mash them up stick a little butter in there sprinkle on some cinnamon, and it's almost like a sweet potato, kind of like a little sweet dessert kind of a thing. But so the carrots are easy to digest. I've found avocados, even though they have fiber in them. I know fiber gives a lot of us trouble, but I've been doing really good with avocados. Um, they're also high in good fats, and so I like that um, for my diet. And they don't cause me any GI distress, so I keep those on the menu. And then other than that, some sweet potatoes um, and regular potatoes, I've found those to be easy to digest. And then almonds, if I soak them, I can do okay. And if you want to try a soaked almond, I just, I would take like an ounce of almonds, put them in a jar, put water and sea salt in there, let it soak overnight. And then the next day, you can actually just pop out the almonds, pop them out of their skins, and then you get you remove that fibrous skin that's hard to digest and you're left with just the almond. So hopefully that will give you some ideas um, on how to help shape your diet a little bit better um, and a little background on why I don't eat vegetables. <laughs> but uh, I'm not, I don't have anything against vegetables, so if you like them and, and they're doing good for you, then by all means, definitely, definitely keep them in. So. The next question after being asked why I eat meat is kind of naturally, I think, a lot of people will ask, do I get nutritional deficiencies on a carnivore diet? So the short answer is no. 
And the reason for that is because meat contains nutrients that are more bioavailable than plants. And so they're easier for our body to use. Think of the B vitamins, uh, niacin, vitamin K, A, all of the vitamins are found in meats. There is some debate about whether or not you need to eat organ meats so that you can get, you know, more of like the vitamin C, vitamin A. A lot of those are found in the organ meats. But there is there is debate because some people don't eat those and they're doing great. Other people do eat them and they swear by them. I figure I eat chicken yolks. And so that's uh, that's about as organ meat as I tend to get on this diet. But you think about it, and the reason that the nutrients are more bioavailable for humans when you eat meat is think about a cow. And a cow is designed to eat grass. That's the natural diet for a cow. But a cow also has a multi-chambered stomach that is actually a fermentation tank. So a cow will eat grass. It literally its stomach and intestines, its digestive system literally ferments the plant material that it's eating. And that fermentation process makes the nutrients that are in the plant, makes those nutrients available, more bioavailable for the cow. And so it goes through this whole process of fermenting the food in its stomach. It turns it into the nutrients that it's able to use. And then the cow is healthy. As humans, we do not have a multi-chambered stomach. We do not have a built-in fermentation tank in our in our GI system. And so that's why a lot of people will recommend you eat fermented food is because it's already gone through that process. It unlocks those vitamins and minerals that are in there. And so humans were designed our digestive system is designed to eat meat and those nutrients that are in meat is readily available for our body to break down and use and help us grow and be strong. So short answer is no, uh, a carnivore diet does not cause nutritional deficiencies. Um, and I would, I would be on the side to argue that I think you actually get more nutrition from a meat-based diet. But with that being said, I do think that those of us who have chronic illnesses and chronic diseases kind of fall into a different category because I think we, with the chronic diseases, tend to fall into a category of nutritional deficiency regardless of what we're eating because if our intestinal tract is inflamed, it's not able to absorb and take in those nutrients the way it's supposed to. Um, our whole digestive system is off if it's, if it's inflamed or ulcerated and we're not able to digest things the way we're designed to. So I think our diseases can cause nutritional deficiencies for us. Um, and so I do like to supplement even though I'm on a carnivore diet, some people say you don't need to, but I like to because I feel like there are certain things that I'm that I'm not getting. So I'll do vitamin D, sometimes the B vitamins, even though there's a lot in meat, um, some electrolytes and probiotics and different things. So I'll kind of I'll talk about that in just a minute, but the supplementation, but you're the one that's going to know your body the best. And so if you're on a diet and you feel like you have a deficiency somewhere, then that's something that you should definitely kind of seek out and follow a little bit so that you can figure out a good way to solve that. Finding your optimal health, you guys, is not easy. And it definitely takes a lot of work going through this process of food journaling and elimination diets and figuring out the supplements you need, but it is so worth the effort. So I highly encourage you guys to do this. If you don't already know what works for you, um, then I think that's the path that I would recommend everybody take. So 
to kind of keep it simple, focus on eliminating the foods that give you trouble, eat the foods you like, and then build out your diet from there. Don't be so dogmatic that you're stuck following one set of rules or one set of, you know, one diet. For example, I say I'm on a carnivore diet, but I eat avocados because I like them. I think they're good for me. And I'm not going to be so dogmatic to say that I, I'm not able to eat that because of my diet. So other than that, a couple other uh, quick tips, you guys, for just finding the right diet for you in general. And a lot of this is geared towards those who are maybe newly diagnosed or people. I get a lot of questions from people who are maybe on the brink of being diagnosed because we know that Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, there can be a, a long period of time and I'm, you know, not just months, but it can be years before we get an official diagnosis. And so I've had a lot of people who are in that category reach out to me with some of these diet questions. So if you're newly diagnosed or if you're falling into that category or you just haven't honed in on your diet yet, then those are my general recommendations and a couple couple little extra tips to go with that just to keep it simple. I think we all know this to be true, but sometimes have a hard time following it. We have to remove the junk <laughs> and it, uh, it sounds so simple, but no matter what diet you follow, whether it's a vegetarian diet or a carnivore diet, you've got to remove the junk. And so I say, I say junk, uh, you know, all that highly processed food, sugar, you're going to want to limit the sugar, processed foods, packaged foods. At the very least, if you don't eliminate it, at least try to cut back and, and try to moderate it. So also avoid processed and refined vegetable oils. The vegetable oils are really highly inflammatory. And when you already have an inflammatory bowel disease, you don't need to eat foods that are going to increase inflammation. So I'm talking about oils like canola oil, sesame oil, sesame oil, soybean oil, uh, things like Crisco, those highly refined and processed oils. On the flip side, you do want to eat good healthy fats. Our body our bodies do need fat. There are essential fatty acids that we only get from fat that our bodies need. So I highly recommend eating things like flax oil, natural animal fats, preferably from grass-fed animals, some avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil. So make sure you're getting some good fats in there. Eat real whole food. So we're going to avoid the junk as much as you can and focus on eating those real whole foods. So whole vegetables, fruits, those meats, just stay away from anything that's processed. And then also make sure you're getting some good quality protein. The amount you need is going to vary depending on your personal needs and your personal preferences. If you have healthy kidneys, there is no upper limit to how much protein you can eat. Protein is safe um, as long as you've got healthy kidneys. And we do need a certain amount of protein. So animal proteins are the most complete form of protein. It's got, when it breaks down, it breaks down into the amino acids. So all of the building blocks that our bodies need. Um, so make sure you're getting protein. And then other than that, you know, just keep it simple, guys. Keep tracking what you're eating. Uh, me personally, my diet has changed over the 13 years. But personally, right now, I like to stay in a state of ketosis. So I do follow a, a ketogenic diet. And I do that because there is a lot of a lot of research and a lot of information out there that shows a ketogenic diet to be anti-inflammatory. It's you know it's shown to lower inflammation. So I figure, why not uh, why not do it if it's you know if there's a chance it's going to help, then I'll go ahead and do it. Um, and then it also gives me really good mental clarity. It keeps my energy really stable, even though I have been fatigued over the last couple months. Uh, I think being on a ketogenic diet has really helped me 
have a sustainable level of energy. And I just enjoy it. It kind of, I need, me personally, I need boundaries with my food. I need guidelines because I love, I have a horrible sweet tooth. I'm addicted to, <laughs> I'm addicted to sugar. And uh, it's been that way since uh, the day I was born, I think. So, so I need boundaries, guys. And uh, I find that having a ketogenic diet just tells me, all right, eat high fat, eat low carb, get moderate protein, and I'm good. And it gives me a structure. So if you're like me and you need some structure with your diet, then I highly recommend that you find one, whether it be ketogenic or not, but just find one that gives you the right amount of boundaries that you need to keep you in line with it and hopefully improve your gut health. So just before I completely bore you guys uh, <laughs> with food, I have just a a couple more quick food-related questions that a lot of people ask me. Uh, if you scroll through my Instagram page, then you are definitely going to see some wine and you are definitely going to see some coffee. I am both a a coffee addict and a wine lover. My thanks to my husband, I am slowly, uh, <laughs> slowly but surely, I am turning into a wine snob. And uh, I think I've already reached that point. But I'm, I'm one of those where I learn just enough to be dangerous. And so I let, uh, I let Jeff learn all the, all the technical information about the wine, and I just tend to learn which ones I like, <laughs> which uh, has definitely gone up in price as he has turned me on to some incredible fine wines. So I digress. Because I do drink wine and coffee, a lot of people will ask me, don't wine and coffee make your IBD worse? And for a lot of people, it does. So for me, with regard to alcohol, I have found that anything sweet, so the sweet, uh, sweet drinks, uh, sweet Mixed drinks are going to give me trouble, anything that has a lot of sugar. And so when it comes to wine, I stay away from the high sugar wines. And those are things like a Moscato or a dessert wine, like a port. Those are all very high in sugar. So I avoid those. If I have too much wine, I'll get into trouble. So I really have to be careful and I moderate how much wine I have. I've found that I can do one maybe two glasses, and I'm okay. If I start having more than that, then I'm going to get, the next day I'm going to have loose stools, I'm going to have mucus, um, I'm going to have bloating. It's not going to be good. So I do have to moderate it, which is why another reason I like wine is because it's a drink that is made to be sipped. And so you drink it slowly, and it, you know, that one glass I'm allowed to have will last it actually lasts me a couple hours, so I don't get drunk from it. Um, it's just relaxing. It's, it's more of just a therapeutic behavior I like. So I do drink wine, but not too much, moderate and low sugar. Similarly with coffee, um, as long as I don't eat, drink too much of it, I do well. So the caffeine can cause people problems, especially with IBD. And so I will have one large cup in the morning. So it's more like, you know, if, if a cup of coffee is eight ounces, my morning cup of coffee is more like 16 ounces. <laughs> so it's uh, technically it, it fits into one coffee mug. So it's a cup in that sense, but it's more like, it's, you know, two actual cups, two eight ounce cups. I'm drinking about 16 ounces in the morning. And if I stick with that, then I do fine. My body can tolerate that. I do not put dairy in it. I've noticed that if I drink cream these days, that will give me cramping and bloating. And so I have to stay away from that. No dairy. But I do put ghee and MCT oil in my coffee. So if, if you're familiar with the Bulletproof style of coffee, you basically, um, you'll put in, the Bulletproof coffee says like two tablespoons of butter, two tablespoons of MCT. That's a lot of oils in a coffee cup. So my coffee is about 16 ounces of actual coffee. And then I'll do two teaspoons of MCT oil, one teaspoon of ghee, or I might just do one tablespoon of ghee total. 
And then I put it in a little uh, Nutribullet blender and I just blend that up. And it, if you've seen my pictures on Instagram, uh, then you'll see that I do get a really nice kind of a foam, a nice frothy coffee. And I uh, absolutely love it. I have a blender that I will take on vacation and I will make my, my blended coffee on vacation even. So that's the short answer of does wine and wine and coffee give me trouble? They can. So as we uh, start to move away from food here, hopefully I haven't bored you guys uh, too much. I hope I'm giving you some good information. But if you like to read, there are two books that I would highly recommend. And I read these years ago, but I love them. One book is called Life Without Bread. And it's by, there's two authors, Christian B. Allen, who's a PhD, and Wolfgang Lutz, who's an MD. And it's kind of an older book. I think I read it in the early 2000s. But it's basically how it talks about how a low-carb diet helps to treat diseases like heart disease, uh, GI disorders like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And it has what I love about it is because the author, Wolfgang Lutz, who's a doctor, he's a physician, he has a ton of case studies and information from his practice about Crohn's and ulcerative colitis patients and shows the data and how they've progressed and how he's followed this data over the years. So if you're interested in low carb, he really recommends 72 grams of carbs or less a day. Um, and then the book has a ton of great information about how your body utilizes energy, how it creates energy, utilizes energy. Talks about vitamins, minerals, and some of the cofactors that we can only get from animal sources. Also emphasizing a low-carb diet there. And then the second book I would recommend is Breaking the Vicious Cycle. And that is by written by Elaine Gottschall. And it's all about the specific carbohydrate diet. So basically Elaine, in 1958, she put her eight-year-old daughter who had ulcerative colitis onto this specific har carbohydrate diet that was developed by Dr. Haas. And after a couple of years, her daughter went into remission and she stayed healthy for about, you know, the next 20 years after that. So it's a, it's a great book about teaching you which carbohydrates you can eat, um, what you should stay away from, what you should avoid. It can be time consuming and it is very specific. So if you're not up for the task, I wouldn't recommend it. But if if you're willing to make the sacrifice and follow it, it's a lot of people find great relief with the specific carb diet. And you can go to the website, which is breakingtheviciouscycle.info, and there's a ton of information about how to do the diet, a lot of great recipes, um, how to get started. So a couple of great resources for you there. So the next thing that a lot of people will ask me because if you've been following, you know that I'm off medications. So I get people who ask me how I got off medication and how I'm staying off medication. So I kind of want to take you through the process that I use to do that. And the first thing was I started, so I went off medications when I was in remission. And I told my gastroenterologist that I wanted to do this. And he was so good about working with me, listening and understanding. So we did a colonoscopy before I went off medication just to make sure that there was no active disease. He gave me the green light. I was in as best shape as I was, you know, could have been. We wanted to start doing this when I was in a position for the greatest amount of success. So I started in, rem in remission, the colonoscopy beforehand to show that. And then I started with a, I followed a dietary plan that I believed from all the research I had done was going to improve my gut health and really put me in a position for being successful. The tricky part is that if you go off medications and you find a diet that's working, you have to stick with it. So there's no cheating because you start introducing those foods again and for a lot of us for me the symptoms come back and so I did that eventually and I had to go back on medication but then I later came back off again so 
if you're not willing to watch your diet like a hawk and sacrifice a lot of foods that regular people are eating, and if you're not willing to be so regimented and disciplined about the food, then I would not recommend that you come off your medication because it is, you guys, it is a struggle. And I watch people, I watch Jeff, I watch him eat ice cream and brownies and cookies and all these foods that, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I want to eat, but I don't because I know they're going to derail me. So I just really want to emphasize that if you're going to try it, it's not easy. And I'm not, I'm not anti-medication. So I want people to really know that I'm truly not anti-medication. I hope I've never come across that way. For me, I just, I want to try to not be on medication. That's all it comes down to. And so part of me, I may have mentioned this before, but part of me wonders if I'm doing the right thing. I don't know because you know, maybe I've got low-lying disease that is not being caught or noticed. Maybe it's going unnoticed and not taking medication is perhaps setting me up for failure later. I don't know. Um, but I feel okay right now. So I'm just, I'm going to run with it. And if my Crohn's gets to a point where it's really bad and acting up and I have to go back on medication, then I will. So I am very you know, I feel very lucky that uh, I live in a country where I have access to this medication and I know that it's just going to take one phone call to my doctor and I can go back on whatever it is I need to. So I say that with, you know, a word of caution. Um, and I've done different, different diets as I've gone off the medications. The first one was a highly fermented diet. I'm now doing a carnivore diet and even being off medication my body, I've had to navigate it. And so I'll be doing good for a while and then symptoms might crop up, whether it's the change of the season or change in stress levels, anything in our environment, all these things affect our Crohn's. And so when I have symptoms start to crop back up, then I tend to have to change something. So I try a new supplement. I take something out of my diet. I change it completely. So it's always this constant walking of a tightrope where I feel like at any moment I could just fall off the tightrope and just crash and burn. So it's a challenge, but right now that's what I've made the decision to do. So if, if you consider that, then I definitely want you to think about those things and whether it's something that you're really going to want to do and maintain. So enough about food and medications. Let's jump on to kind of the not medication, <laughs> but supplements. So I know I've been rambling on here for a bit, so I'm going to try to run through these quickly. But a lot of people will ask what supplements I take with the food that I eat. So first and foremost, the CBD oil has been a game changer. I've written a couple of blog posts about it on my blog, which is Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And uh, you guys, I had uh, the most obvious reaction in a good way I had to the CBD oil was I had, it's called seborrheic keratosis. And it was this little spot. It kind of looked like a mole. This little spot on my arm. It's basically an overgrowth of cells, uh, which is weird. Uh, but it's very common, especially for people uh, later in life. <laughs> so I'm I'm, I'm not that old, but apparently I was getting these skin growths. And within a couple of days of taking CBD oil, this thing fell off like a scab. So that was pretty cool. Um, once I took a high enough dose, uh, my mucus in my bowel movements had gone away. So that was beneficial. And I just felt good. So I've been taking CBD oil for probably six months now. I found a new supplement. I just started taking this one a couple weeks ago. It's called beta TCP, and it's basically beet kvass in a pill. So if you're not familiar with beet kvass, beet kvass is fermented beet juice, and it's said to have a lot of benefits for digestion. It's supposed to boost the immune system, and it alkalizes the blood. So 
So there's a lot of benefits to beet kvass, but this is, but it tastes bad. So this is beet kvass in a tablet. And I've been taking it for a couple weeks, and I do think my digestion has improved a little bit. So I'm going to keep taking it, see what happens. I do, I've said before, I absolutely love the supplements by Intestinal Fortitude, who the founder is Will Jenkins. He's a Crohn's warrior. So I take the, I swapped out, I used to take a lot of glutamine, and I swapped out the glutamine I took for the Intestinal Fortitude Gut Lining Repair Supplement. It's the GLR-6. And then I combine that, I take the anti-inflammatory, which is based with a lot of turmeric and natural anti-inflammatory ingredients, and then the Pro-B11, Pro which is the probiotic. So I take those, and then I also take vitamin K, which is really a really interesting supplement because I didn't know that much about it until I read a book about it. And in short, vitamin K basically tells calcium where to go in the body. So it tells calcium to deposit in the bones and teeth, and it tells calcium not to deposit in the soft tissues like arteries. So I take vitamin K, and then depending on what my blood levels say, I may or may not take vitamin D. So if my blood markers show that I'm low in vitamin D, then I will supplement with that. Um, if I'm in a good range for vitamin D, then I don't supplement with it. Um, because that is one that you don't want to take too much of. So if you are going to take supplements, I definitely recommend that you research them, know what you're taking them for, and then kind of know what, what it is you expect or want to get out of them. So finally, we're going to totally switch gears here and talk about fitness really quickly because one of the questions that I've been getting lately, I think because I've been posting so much about feeling fatigued and with IBD in general, we are typically more fatigued than, than your average person. So people have been asking, how do I stay physically fit? How do I stay active and work out? when I'm fatigued. And guys, <laughs> I have, I don't know why, but I have, um, I have my ideas. I have my theories, but um, I've been so fatigued the last couple months, more than I ever have been. And so I have completely changed my workout routines. I, I love working out in the gym. I used to work out for an hour at a time. Um, but you know, I, I'm getting older. I like to drink wine. I like to relax. <laughs> so I don't want to spend that much time in the gym. Plus, now that I'm fatigued, I can't. Like, I just don't have the energy. So, a couple of quick tips. If you are facing fatigue, I think it's super important to make sure that you stay active because keeping a strong body without overdoing it, keeping a strong body will help us to manage our disease and help us to be in the best fighting position to overcome, you know, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. So first tip, break up your workout. You do not have to spend 45 minutes in the gym hitting it hard. Um, what I do now is I go out in the morning. I take a nice 10 minute walk. It helps to wake me up. I feel good. I get some sun on my face. At lunchtime, I take another 10 minute walk and then get home from work, another 10 minute walk. So it accumulates. All that is good. Same thing with strength training. Just because you can't go to the gym and knock out 10 sets of squats doesn't mean that you can't do anything. So I like to, uh, just throughout the day, I'll do a set of walking lunges or maybe at lunchtime I'll drop and do some push-ups and just little body weight movements that you can do here and there. A set here, a set there, 10 push-ups in the morning. 10 push-ups in the afternoon. It's not a lot, but guys, it accumulates and it is good for you. You'll feel stronger. You'll feel healthier. So just break it up, short little bursts. You do not need to do an intense hit workout if you're feeling fatigued and drained. Um, <laughs> you, uh, I don't think you'd be able to get through it. Um, and I've been kind of being careful. Some days I feel better than others. And so maybe while I've been feeling fatigued. so. If I'm fatigued, but I'm doing pretty good, then once a week, I might go ahead and do a full body workout where I go to the gym, spend 20, 30 minutes working out, and then that'll be it. And then the rest of the week, I just do some walking, 
throw in a couple sets of push-ups and some lunges, and that's been really working great for me. So I definitely recommend that. Do some low-impact stuff, yoga, stretching, some body weight holds like planks or headstands. Uh, those are all great movements. It keeps your body active without draining you and really running yourself into the ground. So just listen to your body. I know that it, it can be hard, but listen to your body and know when you're tired, but you feel okay to do some movement. Know how that feels versus when you're tired and just exhausted and doing movement is going to run you farther into the ground. It's a fine line. So just be aware of that and learn to listen to your body because that rest is also just as important as moving and being active, uh, especially with the sleep. You know, if you're going to do some good, make sure you get good rest to get good sleep. So the last question of the day, um, very Crohn's and ulcerative colitis related is also about fitness. But I had someone ask me, how do I avoid bathroom issues when working out? This is, trust me, <laughs> bathroom issues are always on the top of my mind, uh, whether I'm going to be working out or especially if I have an activity that I know is going to take me away from facilities for a whole day. So if I'm going out for a long hike or even just an all-day boat ride, um, I think these tips will work for any of those situations. So number one, if you're really worried about it, uh, don't eat beforehand. <laughs> so uh, if you're going to go to a group class, you know, a group workout class, uh, don't eat before you go to that. Um, don't push yourself. If uh, your abdominal area, if you're feeling crampy or bloaty, don't force yourself to do a move just because, especially if you're in your class, just because everybody else is doing it. Make sure you know ahead of time. It's very simple, but just make sure you know ahead of time where the restroom locations are going to be. So especially if you're doing something like a marathon or you're going for a race or an obstacle course run, just make sure you know where the restrooms are so that you feel comfortable. If something happens, I know where to go. And then if you're doing a longer event, an all-day event or maybe a race, a marathon, then I would say stick to the foods that you know don't bother you and stick to those foods for a couple of days leading up to that big event. That way you're going to hopefully put yourself in the best position for success. And then get plenty of rest beforehand. Rest is key for a key part of managing IBD. So get some rest, uh, eat foods you know are safe, and know where the bathrooms are. I think, uh, I think the worry about bathroom issues are always on our minds. And so just making sure that you're prepared beforehand can alleviate a lot of that stress. So when it just comes down to it, just uh, don't do, put anything into your system that you're not used to and be prepared. So guys, we are right at about an hour and I don't, I don't usually talk this much. So I feel like I'm about to uh, lose my voice, but I made it through and that wraps up the top questions that other Crohn's and ulcerative colitis patients ask me about my Crohn's. And so I hope you enjoyed, you know, I really hope you enjoyed this solo cast with some of these top ask questions. And if you did enjoy it, be sure, like I said in the beginning, just be sure to send me an email or leave a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast. And if you want to hear another in-depth solo cast episode, just like this one in the future, I'm definitely going to continue interviewing other IBD patients. So I just figure once in a while, maybe every 10 or 15 episodes or so, if you're interested in a solo cast, email me any of the questions that you've got on your mind and I will do some research. I'll pull from my experience and others' experiences and then do some research and I'll answer those questions as best as I possibly can. So if you're interested interested in that, email me, Food at gmail.com or send me a DM, a private DM on Instagram at Food. All right, guys, that wraps up another 
podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful week ahead, and I will talk to you again next Monday. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And finally, remember... Be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.